Smith. Welcome into another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. Recently, with the Cleveland Cavaliers visiting Bankers Life Fieldhouse, I got a chance to sit down with longtime beat reporter Jason Lloyd, who spent his first several seasons covering LeBron James and the Cavaliers for the Akron Beacon Journal, and then this year moved on to the online-only outlet, The Athletic, that is sweeping media, sports media specifically, across the country. In this conversation with Jason, I wanted to learn what it is like covering the best player in the world day in and day out. Whenever he speaks, we listen. Whatever he says makes headlines. He's probably going to become the first billion-dollar athlete, and he is a guy that fascinates me at all different kinds of levels. His dominance on the floor, his training methods, his ability to stay healthy. He's never missed a postseason game. Also, his brand beyond basketball and his willingness to speak up on social issues. So we'll talk about that, covering LeBron, what that is like every single day, and then also why he moved on to The Athletic from a traditional newspaper and how that has shaped his coverage. All right, joined at Bankers Life Fieldhouse with Jason Lloyd of The Athletic, wrote the blueprint on LeBron James, Cleveland's deliverance in the making of the modern NBA. Before we get into that, let's talk a little NBA and Cavaliers. What is it like covering perhaps the most interesting or second most interesting team in the league, Jason? Um, it's something new every day. And I think with LeBron, it's safe to say he's probably still the most recognizable athlete in the world, certainly top three, I think. Uh, so that brings its own set of unique challenges. But he's fantastic to deal with. Uh, for those of us who are around the team every day, we can get him anytime we want. He's very accessible. It's, it's rare, really, for a guy of his stature to be as open as he is with the media. So that's been wonderful. Uh, and it's been, it's been a ride these last four years. There's no doubt about it. It's been from the day. It's funny. I was in the air the day he came back uh, when, when the letter dropped that he was coming back to Cleveland. I was flying to Vegas for summer league. And when the plane landed, like literally my entire life changed forever in midair. And by the time the plane landed, I didn't even go back. I didn't even check into the hotel. I went straight to the arena and just started working. And it's been (laughs) it's been a whirlwind ever since. Because of that, because you're around LeBron all the time, your work is probably consumed way more than it ever was, too. Yeah, I had. It's funny you say that, because, again, when I was on the plane, by the time the plane landed, uh, throughout that day, I was getting text messages and voicemails from agents who didn't call me for two years. Yep. No matter how many times I called them, and now suddenly they were very interested in, in talking to me. And that's just one of the little side things that I, I always think is hysterical. It's like, yeah, where were you the last two years when I was trying to get you? But, yeah, everything changes when LeBron comes. How do you view when LeBron speaks to the media? Because he's very pointed. He knows everyone's listening, and his words carry a lot whenever he speaks. Yeah, he's really good. This is He's totally different than he was the first time around. Uh, he wasn't like this the first time around. I think he was nervous. I think he was – he told me the one time that he was, he was afraid how people would um, interpret what he was trying to say. And now he just didn't care anymore. And now he's – Miami did a lot of good for him in a lot of different ways, and this is one of them in the way that he handles the media and the way that he um, – gets his point across and he he's he's very savvy in that if he doesn't know a lot about a topic then he won't comment on it until he does and when he does then he's not afraid to hold back uh and it's again it's it's uh you know i would put him up there <clears throat> not to get this off the tracks but when you look at everything he's done with his foundation and some of the lives that he's changing in his hometown i would put him up there with muhammad ali in terms of social change and i know that that's kind of a ridiculous statement on the surface when you think of everything Ali did, but I think when, when you really look at it, uh, you know, I'm working on a story now about 
the people like the the moms that are getting their GEDs of sing, of single parent kids, and they never thought they had much of a life before, and he's given them the opportunity to go back to school and get their GED and get better jobs, and he's provided college scholarships for kids who go through his program. Uh, if they maintain a certain GPA and meet some other requirements, they're assured of having a four-year college degree. Like the things he's doing, athletes, you just don't see out of athletes these days. And it's it's remarkable that he's literally changing people's lives. Have you easily seen a tangible benefit from him in Akron and in the city and how he's been able to impact it? Because you wrote for the Akron Beacon Journal, and i got to believe, especially over the last decade, you're able to see those benefits right away. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, it goes back to his I Promise program with the kids. And it's not so much infrastructure. It's not so much buildings that he's erected or anything like that. But he is building a bricks-and-mortar school. Like, that's that's where it's at. He's building a school for his kids in his I Promise program. Uh, he said it's the it's the most important thing he's ever done in his life. So it's, it goes – it transcends far beyond basketball, what, what LeBron is providing the community in Northeast Ohio. Uh, you know, he, he got the championship that the whole reason why he wanted to come back to win a championship, he did that. But beyond that, the far more important measures of, of the way that he's changing and impacting people's lives, he's taking kids who may not have a shot to go to college and handing them a four-year degree if they put in the work. Uh, and that's one of the things that they, you know, his one of his famous lines from uh, his letter when he returned is, nothing is given and everything's earned. And and that's what he's doing now, and that's what he's showing these kids. He's, he's, he's providing them with counselors and with uh, advisors and people who can help them with their schoolwork and tutors who can help them get the grades. And if they put in the work and put in the effort, they'll see the rewards long term. And kids who would not have no shot at going to college now have a four-year degree waiting for them. Last thing as it relates to LeBron, I'm curious being a reporter covering him every day. And now a little bit differently with The Athletic, you can take more time with your stories. But knowing the impact that he has, how do you evaluate writing some kind of side story, say on Kyle Korver, who was discussed at Shootaround, versus whenever LeBron talks, you have to write some story about whatever he commented on? Yeah, I kind of moved away from that. Uh, And the way that we kind of view things, excuse me, at The Athletic now are, don't write what people can get for free, because if they can get it for free, why would they pay for it? And obviously, The Athletic's a subscription-based site. I personally believe, again, not to go off the rails, I think we're all moving this way eventually in the media uh, in terms of some sort of pay pay site. Uh, but, you know, so I've kind of backed away at times from LeBron stuff because there's so much LeBron out there that, you know, I won't necessarily write a LeBron news item of the day just because it's going to be in 58 different places for free, so why would I waste my time with it? <clears throat> so it's tricky being able to maintain the relationship with him without writing about him every single day. But I've, I've taken to kind of pick and choose my spots with him. Uh, I did something about a week or so ago on Dwayne uh, going to a bench roll, and LeBron was fantastic talking about that. And, you know, talking about it was, you know, he wasn't overly welcome in the locker room. So when you pick your spots with LeBron and, and you use the very best of what he says, I think it can make an even greater impact on what you're doing. Talking with Jason Lloyd of the Blueprint and also of the Athletic, that switch to move from the Akron Beacon Journal to the Athletic, how difficult of a decision was that for you? And- how much better do you like it not having those deadlines and can really spend the time to invest in each story? Yeah, this is the best job I've ever had. Uh, I absolutely love working there. And, I mean, I'll try and boil down what could be a week's worth of talking down into 30 seconds. I didn't think I was going to take the job. I wasn't even going to meet with them. And we were driving back last year in January from Sacramento to San Francisco. I was driving with Brian Winhurst and Tim Bontemps. 
and uh, we were driving back to the hotel in San Francisco after the Cavs played the Kings, getting ready for the Cavs-Warriors game last year on MLK Day. And I mentioned to Brian something about, you know, there's this place, The Athletic, they want to talk to me, but I don't think I'm going to talk to him. And Brian was incredulous. He said, we've been in the car for an hour and 15 minutes, and you wait until now to bring this up? He said, meet with them. Just meet with them. What's it hurt? Just, just go ahead and meet with them. So I met with them, and I told Adam Hansman, one of the founders, I said, I'll give you 15 minutes at the Starbucks around the corner from where the Cavs practiced. And two and a half hours later, we were still sitting in Starbucks talking, and I walked out of there knowing I was probably going to take this job. It's, it's remaking the, the industry a bit um, in terms of, like I said, it's a pay site. It's a, it's, it's, everyone thinks it's funny because everyone thinks I'm not going to pay for opinion. Why, why would I pay for your opinion? It's not that. It's, I'm sure there are, there are opinion pieces and there's columns analysis, but it's, it's just deep dive issues on, on the NBA, the NFL, college basketball, baseball, whatever the sport. Uh, it's taking a deeper look at things. It's not just hot takes. It's not just guys spewing opinions. Uh, we're here every day. We're with the teams every single day. Um, and so we're around these guys. It's, it's, it's educated um, analysis, I guess. And, you know, who knows? Hopefully soon we can bring it to Indianapolis. We'll see. And as part of that, I've seen many of the writers, including yourself, transition the postgame stories. I mean, who cares about that 20-2 to two run typically right. in the second quarter? Right. So you got running thoughts or final thoughts, as they're called. And I've even done that myself after games. And I think that's way more enjoyable for the fans and more thought out. Yeah, it's funny. The final thoughts thing, everyone's like, where did it come from? How did you start it? And it was very organic. And I had no idea that it was going to become as popular as it did. Uh, it was actually when LeBron was in Miami, when the Cavs were awful, I covered a preseason game, and I wrote the story, and I had all this leftover information about like uh, roster decisions and just some bits and pieces that didn't really fit anywhere else. So I just dumped it all into a post online, and everyone's like, wow, that's really great. I wish you'd do that more often. And from that, it just sort of evolved into this thing. Now, after every game, this final thoughts column. And uh, it could be a little bit of opinion. It could be a little bit of statistics. It could be couple video clips it could be really uh, anything that applied to that day and it really took off um it became really popular and now a lot of people at the athletic have sort of modeled it um and i I just think it's a great way to sum up like you said it doesn't really matter so much that lebron scored 38 points or scored 10 in a row you can find that anywhere but it's going a little bit deeper than that that I, i think the readers really value so you wrote a book, it recently published. I want to talk about the process because that's a, a fascinating thing to me. First of all, how did it come about? Was it your decision? Were you pitched by agents and book companies trying to get some kind of LeBron story out there? Yeah, that's exactly how it went, actually. So I was on vacation. Cavs won the championship in June of 16. And by the time we stopped working, it was really like the last couple of days of July by the time we were done and could put the season away. And I was on vacation on the East Coast with my family. And my agent emailed me. She wasn't my agent at the time, but she emailed me and said, hey, interest, want, gauging your interest in writing a LeBron book and Cavs and Championship and all that. And I said, well, it's funny you mention that because I am the only person who has covered this team home and road since LeBron came back, or since he left the first time, sorry, since he left. I'm the only one. I've got the whole story. Like, I know. And it's, and it's like the Cavs had this plan in place that they wanted to bring LeBron back uh, when he could be a free agent. But you're not you don't see the whole picture at at the time it's after the fact where you can see where the breadcrumbs were leading and as the years went you know i could kind of see the picture of what was happening here uh but then when they win the championship then when you can look back and see the whole painting then you can write that story that i couldn't write prior to and i told her i'm the only one that has it so she said let's do this so long 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 story short uh I went, I went to work as soon as I came back from vacation. I spent the whole month of September 2016 writing what's called a proposal. 
it's about a 15,000 word proposal so it's about one fourth to one fifth of the book it's a good chunk of the book uh, so it, it gives uh, publishers and editors a good idea of, of what the of what the piece would be and we sent that out to a bunch of different uh, publishing houses and Penguin Random House loved it signed a deal with them and got to work writing it and you know it's hard enough writing covering a team 82 games throughout the season 41 games on the road and then when you drop writing a book on top of it last year was a killer it was it was a lot of work it was a, it was it was a big undertaking i'm not sure i could ever write another one while traveling yeah. a full time on a beat again i skipped all star weekend to finish it um, I, there was, it may still not be done if I, did, if I went to All-Star Weekend and did that, but that week was huge and being able to crank out probably four chapters or so helped put a bow on it. Um, we, we crammed all of last season into uh, the, the end of the book and um, wrote that over the summer after this season ended. Finished it up for good in July, and it hit bookstores end of October. With Jason Lloyd, the author of The Blueprint and also of The Athletic, how much time did you have to take away from the, the Daily Bee? You mentioned the All-Star Weekend and everything else, and what was it like getting the Akron Beacon Journal back then okay with that? Yeah, they were good with it. They, they were great, and, you know, I, the people at the Beacon were wonderful. I, got, I have no complaints. I never wanted to leave. It was just the opportunity at the Athletic was too, too good to pass up. So that's why I had to make that decision. But they were wonderful with it. Uh, the problem was finding time at home to write. Uh, with the wife and three kids at home, and as much as we're gone when we're home, it's hard to say, okay, I'm going to go lock myself in the office now for three hours. I know you haven't seen me for four days, but yeah. i got to go work again. So it was, a lot, it was a lot of writing on the road. I did a lot of hotel writing uh, late at night, middle of the day when we're, when we're traveling. I pulled a couple all-nighters at home after I put the kids to Ooh. bed. I'd start writing nine to ten o'clock at night, and I'd write till six or seven in the morning, um, catch a couple hours, and then get right back to work. So I, I, it was hard. Like I said, it was it was a process, man. I, it was it was a wonderful experience. I'm thrilled I had the opportunity to do it. Um, it's been, you know, when I'm from Northeast Ohio, and when you are from Northeast Ohio and you see the impact that a championship has on a region that has gone so long without, and to be able to chronicle it, to be able to stand in the visiting locker room with champagne on your shoes and know what it means to so many people. Uh, it was a, it was a humbling honor, uh, to be able to not only be there for the championship season, but then to have the opportunity to document it, uh, in a book. It's, it's something I don't take for granted. Beyond finding that time to set aside was perhaps the most difficult point, finding unique stories because of how well covered this Cavs team and LeBron is. Yeah. In this 24 seven news cycle, it's hard to, a, uncover new material, and B, be able to sit on it for eight months until the book comes out. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't report at the time for a variety of reasons. Some of it maybe was off the record at the time because it was sensitive in nature, whereas a couple years later you can use it. Uh, so there was some of that. There was some good, you know, I thought some good Kyrie anecdotes between Kyrie and Mike Brown and why that didn't work the first time around. Uh, I went to David Griffin and talked to Griff, the former Cavs GM, uh, I, obviously, everyone talks about Anthony Bennett and the debacle of the pick that that was, and Griff was very honest in assessing that draft and how AB became the number one pick in that draft. Uh, probably will go down as the worst number one pick in the history of the draft. Uh, so there was there was a lot of information because, like I said, I was the only one, and not a lot of people were paying attention to this team the four years he was in Miami because they were the worst team in the league. Cumulative record, they were the worst team in the NBA those four years he was gone. So no one was really paying attention to him. But there was still a lot going on behind the scenes in terms of protecting salary cap space, trying to 
acquire uh, trade assets to use in the event that he did come back to sort of flip this thing over and turn it over. You know, there's a lot of people fired along the way. Byron Scott was fired. Mike Brown was fired. Chris Grant was fired, the general manager. So a lot of people, they made a lot of mistakes along the way, and yet they still pulled it off. So it was it was hard. Yet, and plus, not to mention, you know, again, Brian Winhurst, a good friend of mine, also wrote a book with Dave McMenamin yeah. that came out five months before. So, but it was, the, the unique thing was we were able to differentiate our story enough from their story. Their story was really focused on LeBron's return to Cleveland and the championship season, whereas mine was uh, the four years he was in Miami, the plan to try and get him back, how they went about doing it, the mistakes that they made, and then being able to pull it off, and then obviously winning the championship. Uh, and there's some good David Blatt stories in there as well because those are just countless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.